Thank you all for tuning in to the Your Edge podcast. I'm Therese Van Ryn, Senior Director of External Communications at Zebra Technologies, and I'm here today celebrating International Women's Day with Emily Cates and Richard Thompson. They are the global co-chairs of Zebra's Women's Inclusion Network, or WIN as we call it. Together, they have been leading our efforts to break the bias, which is the theme of International Women's Day this year. So I asked them to share some of the steps they've been taking to help others become aware of inherent gender biases that can become detrimental to the well-being of individuals and communities. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Therese. Happy to be here. Yep, thank you, Therese. Nice to be here. You bet. Thank you. Let me start by asking a question I'm sure some of our listeners are asking right now. Why is there a man co-leading a women's inclusion network? Emily, maybe you can share some background there. Absolutely. Happy to. Employee inclusion networks, by their very design, are meant to foster community, raise awareness, and help reduce biases that show up in the workplace. A women's inclusion network is no exception. If we limit it to only women, it would be exclusive by its very nature, which goes against the purpose of what we're trying to achieve. And I can tell you firsthand, it's such a differentiator to our women's inclusion network. We have progressed so much faster as a result of having equal representation and I thank Rich Thompson for that. Thanks for co-leading. Thank, thank you, Emily, too. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to add to that, Teresa, I think, I think it's important that men understand the challenges and the biases that women face in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I've, I've been a people leader for a, probably over 20 years in my career. And to be honest, I thought I knew what those biases were, but I didn't. Being part of the WIN organization has helped me to better understand that. Um, and and what it you know we we talk a lot these days about the fact that biases are are often unconscious biases, uh, you know built up in us over many many years. And I think um, the reality of that is that uh, that you know things do occur on a day to day basis, things that men do that need to change. Uh, and uh, simply put, and 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 a lot of men don't realise it, and and I certainly didn't. And uh, and when winners certainly helped me to be able to understand that and therefore to be able to articulate that message to others. Uh, you know, win isn't just for women, it's for men too. We all need to work and we all need to learn together to break the biases that exist today. That's what we generally refer to as allyship. Uh, and that's a, that's a pretty hot topic in the organization at the moment and in, and in the industry, uh, which, which is a good thing. Um, but, you know, being part of the leadership team uh, of WIN with Emily, I can bring the male perspective to the discussion. I can share it with others. I can share what I've learned. I can use, you know, my own learnings as a way to refer to it. Um, and uh, and that, that hopefully I think will benefit both men and women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm curious if you would consider it a gender stereotype to say that a man shouldn't be at the helm of a woman's organization. Does that way of thinking run counter to the notion of gender equality and inclusion? Absolutely. It's a stereotype. It's actually one of the reasons that some women's organizations have low participation in the first place. Folks don't want to be part of something that feels exclusive. You know, the other thing that we know and we think about our own careers and the many sponsors that we've had, a lot of them are indeed men, right? We need men as allies, as Rich mentioned, and mentors and coaches and leaders. They add such an important dimension to the diversity and inclusion work we're doing, and it's so much better to achieve that progress as a collective community. We cannot, we can't do it alone. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have to say I agree. And, uh, you know, being part of it, um, you know, talking about it frequently, you you, you, you understand that better. Um, uh, we, you know, we have to remove that bias of uh, uh, exclusion and exclusivity. And, and men have to help by, uh, you know, leading, by bringing perspective to the conversation, amplifying the message um uh, amplifying the learnings uh, to the rest of the organization um i can understand why some at, at face value might see that you know it is um odd to have a man at the uh, co-leading win um but like i said I, my opinion is we all need to learn this together it's not about just men helping women or just women helping themselves it's about us all understanding it better together and i think we you know we've seen that as we as more and more men become part of the of the win organization um which uh, actually we were we just looking at some statistics uh, the last couple of days and we've tripled the amount of male uh, participation in win uh, over the last couple of years which is you know which is great to see um but the the same message resonates with the with the uh, male um, population that I discussed this with, with within Win, that are learning more and understanding better, and I think that's a you know that's a continuous thing we have to keep doing. Absolutely. Before we talk about you, what you and the others within Win are doing to help break the bias, let's talk a little bit about the biases that need to be broken. From your personal perspective, where do gender inequalities, discrimination, and exclusion still exist in the tech industry? Rich, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, I think the tech industry has been a very male-dominated industry for many years. I think we all know that. Um, But through the activities we've undertaken as part of WIN, we've seen and discussed many of uh, of those biases. I'll give you a typical example that I see happening time and time again. And that example is where there might be, let's say, 10 people in a room and only one or two of those people in the room are female. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one of those females has a good idea, but it's not listened to by the rest of the room or it's put down when when that, that particular person you know raises the uh, the topic. However, if a man with essentially exactly the same idea uh, it comes up, uh, it brings that to the forum, even in the same meeting, he is listened to and his idea is lauded as a good one. But actually, it was exactly the same idea as as a female said earlier in the same in the same conversation or in a, maybe in a previous meeting. But, you know, we, we see and hear about examples like that as we as we talk about these kind of things as part of the exercises and the and the various different um um activities we get involved in in win and then when you take that back into your day job you do actually see that happening and i think if i you know if people hear me saying that people would say no that doesn't happen today i guarantee you it does and i mm-hmm. keep hearing examples of where it's happening and it's because it's an unconscious bias and men um uh, you know fall foul of that and they just don't realize it's happening but we do um uh, we do do it um, and those are the biases we've got to break. And in order to break those, we've got to make people aware that those biases, that those things happen and they are unconscious biases. People have to become aware of those unconscious biases and be conscious of them and do something about it. But then we also, following on from that, have the the, the, the challenge that men in those kind of scenarios, it may want to actually say something. And then the next the next thing we have to sort of get past is that men actually feel weak in front of their co-workers their peers to actually say something to say hang on a minute 
that uh, you know that person had that idea before that person being the female um and they need but men need to as we often use the phrase stand up we have to stand up for that and we have to stop those kind of things happening um it's the simplest form of allyship that we can get and it's it's easy to do but it won't happen unless people are conscious of the fact that these sort of things do go on on a day-to-day -day basis um but i would again point out at the same time it's not just that uh, women need men to stand up for them it's just the right thing to do likewise women should not be in a situation or in an environment where they feel afraid to say anything we all need to champion an environment where everybody feels they can say what they need to say and that's what we need to do in the industry and in our organization itself that's how i, I think it's... about it I agree with you, Rich. It's been such an interesting, I was looking back kind of over history just to kind of understand more about women's equality and the journey that it's been on. And if we take a quick history walk, you know, from activism in the late 1800s, there was feminism in the 1970s, sort of these fix the women programs as they are now referred to in the 1980s, which really focused on helping women become more assertive and visible and confident. And we saw fashion statements around shoulder pads and power suits and heels and loud voices. I, I still I um, use lots of those <laughs> power power suits and heels and shoulder pads. You know, I think they're still in fashion, but really interesting then to kind of see it evolved from that to changing the organization. Now we went from kind of working on the the women to working on the organization in the 1990s, focused on org development and talent pipelines of of having diverse candidates, women comp specific conferences, gender related research research and stats being published for the first time, and in more recent years, right, we've been focused on men as allies. And now the world expects inclusivity with movements like Me Too and Time's Up. And um, But expectations for equality are higher than ever, right? Expectations from candidates, from consumers, communities, investors, governments, media. And now it starts to really stand out when it's absent or contrary. In those meetings that you just mentioned, right, we recognize it. And it's obvious to everyone that someone was spoken over or that their idea wasn't taken. Um, and it's, you know, it's an exciting time now to see these expectations changing and we're all all becoming a lot more aware of it, but we do have a few things still to work on, especially when we take the large category of women and break it into some of the sub-segments. Let me give you a couple of statistics here. Uh, the amount of women represented in first-line manager roles is only 26%, and even lower for women of color. There's still this idea of the broken rung, people who are trying to take that first step in their management career. That's a space we need to keep working on. Asian women, as an example, still account for one in 15 women in entry-level roles and only one in 50, five zero women in the C-suite. Lesbian and bisexual women report more experiences with microaggressions. And as we've you know, read a lot about recently, burnout is real and it's driving 40% of our women to consider a job change. One in three Latino women are on double duty caring for children or aging parents. So as we look at the smaller demographics within the broad category of gender, you realize there's a lot of specific improvements that we still need to make. Mm -hmm. You've given us vivid examples of how these biases are carrying over into the workplace. Do you feel organizations are doing a good job of trying to eliminate discrimination through employee education and zero tolerance policies? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of I'll, I'll take that one. I think um, I think awareness is much improved. I think um, I think organizations uh, as a whole are taking the lead in a lot of these things. I think it is the organizations that are driving this. A lot of the movement uh, coming out of organizations that we see 
you know, just sort of generally day to day, you know, is in, is encouraging this and improving things. Um, we see that, um, you know, a lot of organizations have um, similar groups to win ERGs, as we, we often call them. A lot of our partners are doing similar things and partnering with us and, and having discussion around that now. Um, uh, but I think what we have to think is, are we really all doing it all the time, day to day, every day? Um, I believe that organizations have taken a good lead in driving the change, uh, in essence, and removing some biases. And a lot of the positive momentum around the world uh, when it comes to breaking gender bias, particularly, is driven by organizations. I think that's where you see it most um, prominently, uh, you know, in, in sort of um, press articles and, and uh, company statements and so forth. And, and Zebra is one of those, for sure. Uh, and we're doing some great stuff. Uh, there's good momentum here, um, but we need to keep that momentum going. And I think that's a key point, you know, that I've one of the real things I've really learned as being part of Win is that, you know, and I often say it, there is no finish line to IND. We're not going to get to a point where we've achieved IND. <laughs> you know, it's an <laughs> ongoing, continuous journey and continuous improvement. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, about having that, uh, you know, that that mindset, if you like, uh, to you know, to keep going um, uh, and and keep improving on a uh, on, on a day to day basis. And I think as we do more and more of that, and organisations continue to have this as part of their their plan, so to speak, then uh, you know we will see. Um, uh, we will see continued uh, continued uh, benefit, but then I do think things like zero tolerance policies. I think they're a difficult thing, to be honest. Um, and I think we have to take into account uh, uh, one of the things we have to take into account anyway is the cultural differences that exist today around the world. Mm -hmm. Now, in in my day job, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, a global role um, within Zebra, and that provides me with a vantage point that I think not everybody in the company has. Mm -hmm. And from this vantage point, I see how different people in different countries and di and different regions react to the same situation. And a lot of this is driven by, you know, the, the cultures that exist today and the, and the unconscious biases that are ingrained in people and ingrained in the workplace. Um, and that's uh, that is a lot of what continues to drive those biases. And I mention that because I think when most people think about bias, they only consider themselves in their immediate work environment. And I think we need to think more broadly. We need to we need to implement accordingly. You know, we need to implement something. If we want to try and change something as an organization or organizations want to put things in place to, to improve um, uh, gender bias um, or negative gender bias, then um, we need to think on a, on a broad basis of how will that be perceived and accepted in all the different aspects of the company, in all the different regions a company happens to operate in. Um, so to me, rather than zero tolerance, I think it's more about appropriate enforcement and education. And I think being part of WIN, um, uh, people from all over the world can learn more about that by participating in all the great things that Wynn is doing. Uh, Rich, I'll add, I'll underscore your comment on the culture. I recently read that 68% of leaders in the tech industry feel that there's still a lack of diversity in their tech workforce, and more than 50% are struggling, absolutely struggling to recruit the diverse entry-level tech talent. Remember, I kind of mentioned this um, concept of um, uh, broken rungs and kind of that space for the entry talent that we need to be successful today and into the future. And I don't know if you 
you've all tried to hire right now, but you realize it's incredibly difficult to find great talent, especially post-pandemic with all the different job opportunities that are available. But yet across the field, we still see some of these biases in our recruiting efforts. I, I heard the other day about a job ad where someone was looking for an engineering ninja. Now, my daughter's in the sixth grade, and I can assure you that she is not dreaming of a career as an engineering ninja, right? I don't, I don't even know what that is. Right? Like, or, or we search for cultural fit, right? Versus looking for those that will be cultural ads, new hires that will help us build something even greater than what we have today. If you combine that with 50% of those in the 18 to 28 year old age bracket that have left or want to leave their tech job because the environment made them feel uncomfortable. You know, why would you work so hard to recruit diverse talent and not take the time to create an environment where they can thrive and want to stay? So Rach, as you mentioned, a lot of this is unconscious and it's kind of beyond the policy. And this is where culture really comes in. Mm -hmm. Great points. I know there's no single way to break the bias, but what are some of the more effective ways to break down misperceptions and break through those long held belief systems to help create more awareness of behaviors that may be contributing to gender, gender inequality issues? You know, um, Teresa, I'll offer maybe two ideas in this space. The first is that we need to demonstrate what good looks like, and we need to really um, hold it up and, and share with folks, what does it look like to facilitate an inclusive meeting? How, how do you do that? What's that look like? What does it actually mean to do? How, what does it look like to hold people accountable for the culture that we want to inspire? You know, how do you speak up? What does that look like? What, what are some starting words that you can use when you want to maybe say something or call something out, but you're not quite sure how to do it? Rich mentioned that people sometimes are afraid to, to speak up. How do you do that? What's it look like to be a great ally? Can, can we have some examples? Could we, just like we do case studies, right? Uh, for other mm -hmm. stories of great, great activities in the industry, what's it look like to recognize somebody for leadership in this space? And the second idea I'll put out here is that, you know, we do need to focus on these microaggressions, um, these things like being interrupted or spoken over, having your judgment questioned in your area of expertise, having folks maybe comment on your emotional state overhearing insults. Um, we've heard a lot about areas where um, people ask somebody to speak on behalf of all people with their specific identity. And while these are small, um, if they exist in the culture, they start to build up and they start to put your talent at risk of leaving or, or burnout. So we got to demonstrate what good looks like and we've got to help eliminate these microaggressions. Mm -hmm. I, I guess from my perspective, you know, a little bit about it from the male perspective, I think to, to me, I, I just reiterating, it's about being open-minded. Don't think that you know all of what the, all those biases that are there, unconscious or conscious. Uh, just get involved and learn more. Uh, another challenge, I think, is is just not being afraid to say something. Obviously, be considerate in what you say when it needs to be said. But saying something, in my mind, to challenge a bias is better than saying nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And people, uh, you know, one of the things I think. You know, it needs to needs to happen and continue to happen. And I think Zebra is doing um, is to encourage a uh, an environment where people know that they can stand up and say something and can be heard and not afraid to do so. I think that's uh, that's a really important thing. Right. I agree. Research shows women are less likely to enter into STEM fields of study rather than men, which means there will be a successive gender imbalance in the workforce within engineering, research, and other innovation-centric roles. Yet we need diversity of thought 
Are there specific actions we can take to encourage more women to ignore perceived gender roles or to permanently erase defined gender roles at a societal level so that we aren't still having conversations like this five or 10 years from now? Yeah, Teresa, there's absolutely been a lot of movement in the tech field. You know, I'm no longer an only in many of the the meetings and the um, areas that I go in day to day, which I'm, you know, is in really encouraging to see, which I experienced for a good portion of my career. But I want everybody just to take a minute and recognize we are now the ones that are making the hiring decisions. We are the ones building the teams. We are the ones defining the workplace culture, whether we're actively defining that or passively defining it. We are the ones here and now. In the future of work, it's, it's like actually in our hands. It's up to us. So everybody who's listening today, it's, it's on us, right? This uh, future of work. So five or 10 years from now, it's what we're defining right now that's going to make a difference. I would encourage us to get comfortable with the data, right? We all run businesses on data, facts, growth numbers, statistics. We turn profits by the number. Why not apply the same to turning this situation around yet yeah, globally? You know, I know we have different rules around data sharing, but if we can aggregate the data up and share it in a way that will help us understand what goal are we going after, um, you know, if we set a goal, we'll get after it and make sure it happens. So we've got to set the goal, hold people accountable, but I would encourage us really to get comfortable with the data. So so we, we can't see it, we can't measure it, we can't take ownership. Very true. Rich, let's talk a bit about what Zebra is doing well right now to break the bias and create an even more inclusive and equitable culture for women within our organization. Are there certain initiatives that you too or the broad inclusion and diversity team have been driving that you've found to be impactful? Yeah, it's something we've been looking at a lot in Win. Uh, you know, in terms of um, how can we how can we improve things in that in that respect, um, and uh, highlighting the achievement of our own people and using our own people to drive the change. Uh, you know, is something we've Emily and I have been spending a lot of time thinking about, focusing on, and, and uh, you know, putting things in place to, to do so. Um, as a man, for me, it's also more that. Um, also, the more men that can get involved, um, uh, so encouraging men to be curious to, to, to get involved with an open mind and learn, uh, as I've said, you know, can do nothing but help. Um, but we are also learning from others. And I think, you know, collectively, we as the organization and, and broader organizations can learn from one another. We have we now have several external partnerships specific to IND. Um, uh, the, then these partnerships help us learn from other companies who've who've done these things before, lessons learned and that kind of thing. Um, personally, via our partnerships with uh, an organization called the Catalyst Group, um, I've been involved with an organization, a sub-organization called Mark, which is Men Advocating Real Change. And it's through that that I've learned the most as being part of WIN. Um, and that's, you know, that's open to, uh, you know, um, to every anybody in Zebra, but it's it's obviously open to uh, to any other organizations out there as well. Um, and, and being part of those things, we're bringing the findings that we have into into win and into the overall IND agenda. Um, uh, and that's and that's been so that's been shown most recently in the work streams we've we've run around allyship. A lot of the things we sh we did in those workshops was sponsored and driven by the win organization and we learned from from being uh, from partnering with those other organizations uh, in how we did some of those things. Emily, anything you'd like to add on that? 
I mean, just to build on what Rich said, we now have eight inclusion networks across the company and we're actively co-sponsoring and partnering on various initiatives to strengthen the focus and impact. I think my favorite has been the internal focus on our own women talent, spotlighting them, giving them a platform to share their stories and accomplishments, linking them to mentorship opportunities. I mean, it's been valuable for their visibility. It's helped to recognize the progress we're making as a company, and it's been inspiring to learn from each other. It's also helped us to build a community of supporters, which ultimately helps with retention. Mm -hmm. Emily, what is the one thing that you think every individual can do in their daily lives to break the bias? I'm going to encourage us to be a builder, help build people up, encourage folks to go for new roles. Even if they don't get it, they're going to learn from it. Sponsor people in, build new types of teams, inspire confidence. You know, as I said earlier, we are the ones creating today's culture and the culture of the future. So let's build something better for our early career generation, our mid-careers, our retirees who often take on a second career. We are in charge of building up and I'll encourage everybody to be a builder. I like that. And Rich, we'll end it with you. What's the one thing we can stop doing that would also further progress toward a gender equal world? You know what? I would say, stop thinking this isn't important. Stop thinking it's not part of my day job. So I'm not bothered. It is important. We, we know it. The world is changing. Don't get left behind. I know it takes a lot of courage to speak up for others and stand up for yourself, no matter the type of bias or discrimination experienced. But as Dorothy Thompson, who some refer to as the first lady of American journalism once said, only when we are no longer afraid do we begin to live. I know many women have big dreams and women want the opportunity to live their lives freely and with purpose. So I thank you both for your persistent advocacy for women's rights and equality. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to hear what Emily and Rich had to say today. I hope their words inspired you to help break the bias today and every day. And if you'd like to learn more about Zebra's inclusion and diversity commitment, as well as our efforts to create a culture of belonging, visit the Your Edge blog and navigate to the Corporate Social Responsibility page. On there, you'll also find our 2022 Women's History Month series posts, as well as insights and interviews dating back to March 2019. I'm Therese Van Ryn. Until next time.